This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 33 for March 30th, 2006, Symmetric Block Ciphers. Hello, Steve Gibson. Hey, Leo. Great to be back with you. Are you swamped with uh, with answers to your stumper uh, from last week? Uh, I thought I was getting a lot of postings on the Security Now page before. <laughs> I mean, it's... Well, the, the really cool thing is people have had a lot of fun with this. I mean, I've received, I've received things that look like like PhD theses with, with pages covered in mathematical expressions with XORs and 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 proofs of why you know it it does work that you can communicate but why it's not secure. Uh, we had a, a a housewife who wrote said she's out walking her dog listening to our podcasts and either we're doing too good a job teaching or these puzzles are not hard enough. And then she completely explained. Why this is not secure? I mean, it's and she, did it, and she got it right. Oh yeah, and in fact, many people pointed out that one of the problems is that this is a, a, an abuse of the idea of a one-time pad. Essentially, it, it's been used as a two-time pad because people are using that pad twice. Well, let me and let me repose the stumper so people know what we're talking about, and if case yep. they missed episode thirty-two, and then you can explain why it uh, doesn't work. The, well, but, in fact, if they missed episode thirty-two, they ought to go back and listen to the beginning of it because that you know, like, stop now, go listen to the beginning <laughs> of it, and you can you can have a puzzle all over again. Yes, that's true. Then you won't know the answer. That's fun. In fact, I think we should do this more. I, I think people really like it. So the premise was we were talking about one-time pads uh, a couple of episodes ago and how they really work. Um, and but the issue was you have to get the pad uh, to the recipient so that he or had get a copy of the recipient. And there's a vulnerability because in that transmission of the one time pad, somebody could get it. So somebody suggested, well, here's a clever idea. Why don't you uh, double encrypt? So you have two individuals with independent one time pads. Individual A encrypts using his one time pad, sends it to individual B who encrypts it using his one time pad, sends it back to individual A. Am I right so far? Yep. And then individual A decrypts decrypts his portion, sending it. Now it's still encrypted, sending it back to individual B, who then decrypts it with his portion. And right. it, at no point was clear text sent back and forth, nor was the one-time pad exchanged. And yep. you didn't even say that there was something wrong with this. You just said, "Would this work?" Well, because that was the question posed to me by a listener after our previous episode. So it's like, okay, let's let's let this open to question, you know, does it work? And several people commented that, you know, yes, it works. That is, it does always transmit an encrypted message. So the and and because of the nature of the simple or encryption or adding and subtracting, you are able to do these out of order. Now, normally, if you encrypted something and then you encrypted it again, you would not be able to decrypt it with the first key. That is, you have to back. You always have to back yourself out in the same sequence of decry- you know, in like in the reverse order of sequence of decryptions from encryptions in order to like completely reverse the process. But because this is a simple XOR or an adding and subtracting, you know, like going back to our secret decoder ring, those operations are mutative, and you are able to do them out of order. So you know, person A encrypts, then B encrypts, then A decrypts which still leaves B's encryption, which is, which is then the final process that decrypts. So 
in this simple case, it does work to do the encryption and decryption out of order. So the flaw but, isn't in that uh, respect. Right. I mean, it does work. Right. Yeah, here's the problem. We have to presume that there's an eavesdropper. I mean, that's the whole point of encryption anyway, is that we want to send an encrypted message that if somebody were to intercept it, it wouldn't help them. So an eavesdropper sees the, the message going from person A to B, which has been encrypted with person's A one-time pad. They also then see the message going back from B to A after B has encrypted it. Well, there's the problem. Because if you see the message before B encrypts it with his and after, the encryption is so simple that essentially you just you you so you XOR those two messages or you subtract one from the other and that gives you B's one time pad. So as our dog walker pointed out, your flaw here is that you're using a one time pad twice. Well, yeah, and, and, and you're able to see the information. So so by seeing the first and the second exchange, you're able to get the one-time pad used by the second person. Mm -hmm. Then when the first person removes their encryption, the message is now only encrypted with the second person's one-time pad, which you have. So now you simply decrypt it with that pad, and you have the, you've, you've decrypted the message by, by seeing it in transit. So this is clearly, I mean, it works, but it's anything but secure. You know, I think we have some very brilliant, mathematically inclined listeners because I wouldn't have gotten that. That's very people had a people had a lot of fun with it. In fact, uh, a, a poster named Steve in Chicago also pointed out, and I thought this was really cool, is that the original concept that introduced this, the idea of a of a double lockbox, where where instead of using encryption, and and this was what the original poster suggested, instead of using encryption, you'd put a lock on a box, send it to a friend, like okay, I lock. A box, send it to you, Leo. Mm -hmm. You add your lock to it, send it back to me. I can't I open my the, lock. I can't open the box, but I can put another lock on it. Exactly. Right. Then, then you send it back to me. I remove my lock, leaving it now only locked with yours, which I send to you, and you unlock. So it's locked anyway, the whole way, and I don't need your key, and you don't need my key. Yeah. And so, anyway, a listener pointed out that is subject to a man in the middle attack, which I thought was really cool. Someone intercepts my sending it to you. And, and pretends to be you. And, and that's the problem with man-in-the-middle attacks is a lack of authentication. That, I mean, that's the, that, that is the, the thing that is necessary in order to prevent this type of attack. So he is, puts his lock on it and he pretends puts his to be lock me. On. Yep, sends, uh -huh. it, sends it back to me. I remove mine, send it back to him. He removes his. Now he opens it. Takes a look at the inside, changes it, does whatever evil thing he wants to to it. Now he pretends to be me sending it on to you. And so he, he basically does the same uh, three-way handshake to, from, from, from him in the middle to you. And you don't know you didn't get the contents from me. Right. So I thought it was just another very clever, you know, real-world uh, analogy to, to this kind of stuff. So that's exactly how a man in the middle attack works. Interesting. Yeah. So we're going to continue on now. We uh, we have crypto to talk about. Uh, we've done 101 and 102. Oh, we got crypto for weeks. <laughs> but there's uh, just there's so much cool stuff in crypto. And what I think people are going to find is it's surprisingly straightforward. I mean, it seems like rocket science, you know, mumbo jumbo, confusing stuff. But but essentially, there are a series of simple building blocks, which uh, each block is 
clear and easy to understand. And then once we have those, we're going to look at all the different ways they can be put together to do real work. And it's just, it's just so cool. I want to add one, one little note. A couple of people sent me, and I'm sure you got the same emails, uh, recommendations for books along this line, two of which I've read and really can agree with are excellent. Simon Singh's The Code Book, which is a very good description of how crypto works and crypto through the ages. And then if you really want to know everything about how it's been used, uh, David Kahn's classic Code Breakers is quite amazing. Well, those, those are good sort of literature-oriented books. My Bible is Bruce Schneier's Applied Cryptography. Yeah, and Bruce so, is the I king, mean, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he yeah. just is. And and applied cryptography is, I don't know what, like fourth edition or fifth mm-hmm. or sixth. I mean, I, I've got it in hardback and softback. I love it. It's it's basically, it's the Bible of this stuff. I mean, it's, it's heavy-duty technology, but if someone really wanted to understand you know without any um without any simplification it just he bruce lays it out and it's 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 a fantastic reference tell you what i'll put links to uh, all three books in the show notes and you can look at the uh, amazon reviews and decide which one is right for uh, you i'm i'm not ready for code breakers i mean for uh, uh bruce's Applied book, cryptography but code yeah. breakers and the, the code book were, were right for me so uh shall we what are we going to talk about this week okay this week is the second type of symmetric cryptography or symmetric ciphers or symmetric encryption decryption known as block ciphers. What we what we covered last week was uh, are, are known as stream ciphers because or wait was no it's week before last I'm sorry but before our Q and A episode uh, two weeks ago those were stream ciphers that, uh, that, you know t- t- taking a look at RC four which of course is the famous one that was used in WEP which, because it was not used correctly, even though RC4 itself is a very good um, source for encryption, it was not applied correctly. That, that uh, the people who are applying this technology have to be aware of is, is using them correctly. You can have a really strong tool which you don't use correctly and get yourself in trouble. So, so you've digressed a little bit, but what's the difference between a block cipher and a stream cipher? Well, that's where we're going to go right now. Okay. Um, the the idea was, you'll remember, we had basically a stream of bytes, and we were we had a either in, in, if we had a one time pad, then we had a true source of random numbers or symbols that we were mixing with our message in order to produce. A, a truly random result. So that was like a the, the pad represented a stream of randomness. If we didn't have a one-time pad, we could instead use a a a cryptographically strong pseudo-random number generator. So this again, just every time you ask this generator for a new random number, it hands you one. And the the idea being that a a very good mathematical algorithm is producing these so that no analysis of them can find a pattern and there and we know how to do that now um, our mo- modern cryptography ran, in fact RC4 f- for its simplicity and it's a very simple random number generator which is why it was originally adopted by the web guys in the beginning was they wanted to be able to run this on very inexpensive low power hardware and low power machines so it's very good it turns out you have to look at millions and millions of 
of the random numbers produced by it to even be able to tell it's not ping pong ball random. I mean, it's not truly absolutely random. It's that good. So the idea is you have a, a pseudo random number generator that just spits out this stream of random bits, which you mix in with your message, turning your message into ciphertext, into essentially random bits. And then at the other end, of course, somebody with the same pseudo-random number generator and the same key because these are keyed so that the the, the specific sequence of pseudo-random bytes or bits that it generates is dependent upon the key. So they generate the same stream of pseudo-randomness. They unmix it with the ciphertext returning it to plaintext. So that's stream ciphers. There's an, an, an entirely different way which has actually become recently the dominant approach for cryptography uh, for like bulk encryption it's what ssl and open vpn uh it's what um the new uh, wpa encryption uses basically stream ciphers are kind of old school they still have a place and they were a nice place for us to start but now we're going to talk about what are called block ciphers we'll start by going back to our decoder ring now with the decoder ring we were we 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 set our wheels um on the concentric um circles of the ring to some position and basically just had a simple transposition that is from any character you'd move a certain number over to the other one and that was encryption and to do, to de to decrypt you just went in the opposite direction now imagine an entirely different approach you have a a table of of every um every possible symbol in the alphabet so you just write down a through z down one column now on the other side you just fill in the second column in an a completely random sequence so for example you 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 just somewhere on the second column you put a somewhere else you put b somewhere else you put c somewhere else you put d so basically you create a mapping between your your clear text or plain text data and your cipher text but in this case there is no relationship between the columns if we compare this to the to the previous approach the col one column would just be shifted down or transposed from the other making it you know very simple to you know like you know caesar's generals were able to decode this um, uh, uh, apparently, but but here we just create an arbitrary mapping between our input symbols and our output symbols, so that so that the result is completely scrambled. Now that's a very uh, that's a perfect example of a very simple block cipher. Okay. Now, so so again, you know, obviously the process of of um of encrypting this is you find the symbol on the left you then you simply do a table lookup you just look up the corresponding arbitrarily assigned symbol but it but it, it's statically assigned that is every time you ask for the same symbol on the left you're going to get the same symbol on the right and so you you produce your message now we have the same problem we've had before that is to decrypt it you need to get the person who's going to decode it has to have the same uh, basically a copy of that table Okay, so we go to the first step, which is 
rather than creating, well, okay, I, I, we have to talk about the weaknesses of this first. Obviously, this is not a very strong cipher if you know anything about the language, because as we talked about before, even with the transposition cipher, if you did an analysis of the frequency of occurrences of these symbols, and you knew, for example, that the that the message was probably going to be be um, um, enciphered English text, you just look at it and you say, "Oh, look at the based on the frequency analysis, this symbol, you know, which might be Q, for example, is obviously E in English because it's occurring so often." So it would be very simple to crack this simple. Um, um, mapping cipher, this very Sub- simple substitution cipher, substitution like cipher, exactly, or exactly, or block cipher by by just doing an analysis of the frequency. Now, modern, so so we have the idea of a random assignment. Well, now we have algorithms which are becoming very popular and work very well, where a key automatically creates this mapping. So instead of sitting down and you and just like randomly assigning these letters, you we can use an algorithm to map from the plain text to the clear text, and that algorithm is driven by a key with a certain number of bits, and that of course is where we get our strength. Now, in order to solve this problem of the the frequency analysis of the result being so simple, two things are done. The first is we don't use a single symbol block. That is, in this first example, the block, the so-called block length of our cipher was one symbol, one character, maybe eight bits, or actually, you know, if we were just using an alphabet, we we could get away with 32 bits to hold the whole alphabet. That's because I'm sorry, five bits because that's 32 possibilities, and that would be enough for A through Z, space and dot, and so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. So, so the way we solve this. The, the 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 frequency analysis problem is we encode many more symbols at a time. Contemporary block ciphers are 64 bits long, so that's for example in in terms of eight bit bytes, that's obviously eight characters. So when you take eight characters or eight symbols in a block, what you're doing, and this is what's fascinating about these algorithms, is I mean 64 bits is a huge number of possibilities. We know that 32 bits is is um, 4 gig, so that means that 64 bits will be 16 billion billion possible combinations. It's, that seems it's, like enough. <laughs> yes. And, and here's what's so cool, is any, any 64-bit combination you put in to one of these block enciphering algorithms produces exactly one other that is one matching but 64 bit combination so i mean this is phenomenally strong you put in i'll say it again you put in um eight bytes at a time or 64 bits and a completely different sort of like mapping to a different 64 bits comes out and what's so cool is if you just changed one bit on the input, just change one of those 64 bits from a 0 to a 1 or 1 to a 0, what comes out is completely different. It's not like one bit over on the other side changes. Everything changes. It's just com- a completely different mapping. That's and that's cool. what 
oh, it's such cool technology, yeah. and that and that's what makes this so strong is even if you tried to do an analysis of the frequency, you would just you know eight characters in English occur. You're not going to know where word boundaries are. Even if you had like lots of e's and t's and s's, they're going to they're going to be watered down by by lesser occurring characters in their neighborhood so that you just there's just no way to analyze the 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 the, the frequency strength of what's coming out and figure out what went in. Basically, it explains a lot to me because I'll look at an encrypted PGP message and the length doesn't even seem to correspond with the length of the clear text message. Well, and in fact, it won't because everything has to be done in blocks. Right. So the size of the message will be rounded up to at least the next even block size right. in order to like finish off the message. If you might have like three characters after you're cho- you're done chopping it up into in, into sets of eight. And then you just have to pad it with, with, with an additional five in order to for it to be an even number of blocks. So that's that's one thing that's different about the use of a block cipher versus a stream cipher. As we've seen, a stream cipher can be exactly as long as the message because you're just done when you're done. And even that block- gives you some information uh, that could be useful is the length of the message. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, so what's so cool about these algorithms is that they, it, it's a virtual, you know, impossible to, to figure out mapping between a huge number of, of possible input combinations, you know, 16 billion billion and the same number of outputs. And of course, this is reversible. That is, these algorithms, you have an, an encryption algorithm that goes one way, driven by a key, and the, 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 the decryptor is typically a different algorithm because it's done so much to this data inside, but, but still you use the same key, thus it's a symmetric key cipher. That is, the same key drives a different algorithm in order to reverse this process so it takes any one of this huge number of 64 bit inputs and unwraps it unwinds it and returns it to what was originally put in now the the last thing that is done uh, in order to further strengthen this is there there's still there'd still be some weakness if you had if you had these 8-bit blocks all standing by themselves. I mean, the problem has been made extremely difficult. But, you know, it's like, well, okay, maybe if you did analyze this, you could, you know, like if you had enough ciphertext and enough time, you could still do a frequency domain analysis of, of the result in order to see what was going on. So what they do is something called cipher block chaining, uh, or CBC for short, and essentially what they do is they 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 take the prior block and XOR that. Here we go w- w- with our favorite XOR operation again. You XOR it with the data for the next block before encrypting it. What that does is that creates an interblock. <clears throat> excuse me, an interblock dependency 
so that no longer does do each 8-bit block stand alone, which would potentially ren render it vulnerable to some sort of cryptographic analysis. Now you have to know what the, what the one before was in order to XOR that with the one that follows. So it's a reversible process, but it, it, it basically it means that if anything changes in the message, the entire message is, is destroyed, whereas if we had eight byte blocks standing alone, something could change there and the rest of the message would not be hurt. So this this strengthens the 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 um enciphering of the message and it makes it you know way harder for, for someone to to cryptanalyze because they don't know what came before, so these individual blocks are not standing alone. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now let's look a little bit at the history of this. The the most famous block cipher is DES, the data encryption standard that was adopted by the U.S. government and has been used, you know, widely for a long time. DES is a is a very good and strong block cipher, but it suffers from a key length which is too short. the The DES algorithm uses only a 56-bit key. Now, once upon a time, that was a lot. But you know, over the last decade, computers have gotten so much faster that 56 bits is no longer enough. And if if somebody wanted to, if if a if a government, um, like like government level funding produced D, a DES cracking machine hardware, and by the way, several have been produced, um, then it's possible in a relatively short time to brute force attack the DES block cipher just because 56 thick excuse me 56 bits of key doesn't give you enough possible combinations you can just try them all and you're going to be able to get there sooner or later so what was done as sort of a one of the many um, improvements in general for block ciphering something called triple des or 3 des was created 3 des uses two 56-bit keys and three DES operations. So it takes the same, the, the, the same basic 56-bit encryption algorithm, but it uses it three times with two different keys. Well, these two different keys, essentially, the, the, the two 56-bit keys form a, an effective single 112-bit key. And 112 bits is enough to give you today in today's world, ver and you know for the foreseeable future, very strong encryption. So, so people have gone. Many people have gone to triple DES as a nice way of of strengthening DES and like bringing it up to 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 current standards. So, but they wanted to preserve the DES standard, but they wanted to make it more. So the strength of DES is that it's very easy to implement. Uh, yeah, exactly. DES was chosen because it was fast and easy to implement, and it has been pounded on so much. See, it's like any brand new cipher might have a problem. This is the same thing we run into with security. It's like any brand new software, any brand new operating system, any brand new anything in security. You know, a brand new lock might have some way that the lock makers didn't think of 
for it to be cracked or hacked. You mm. just don't know. It's really, it's only history and experience that allows us to prove um, the, the, the security of these technologies. So, so it's sometimes better to go with a tried and true method, even if it has some flaws, just fix the flaw and, uh, and continue to use it. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, every so often you'll, you'll see some website that's like bragging about, you know, their own, you know, hyper triple duty, you know, super triple scoop encryption. And it's like, what are you people <laughs> thinking? You know, this problem has been solved already. Right. I mean, and, and that's what I love about this is, you know, there are there is a, a new standard. It's known as AES or the Advanced Encryption Standard. It's actually a cipher called Rheindahl. Rheindahl was chosen from among a long list of ciphers um, in an international competition. So all these cryptographers who had the, their their own favorite ciphers. I mean, and there are many block ciphers. You know, people have probably heard of Blowfish. Or, right, and actually, right. Blowfish was invented by, by Bruce Schneier, and he put it in the public domain. I mean, it's a very good, very strong block cipher. There's something called uh, CAST, Krypton, mm -hmm. Deal, DES, of course, we talked about DFC, E2, Frog, HPC, uh, IDEA is the um, international data encryption algorithm. In fact, that's the bulk encryption used by PGP. By the commercial uh, PGP. It's licensed, exact, so it can't be used by the uh, exactly. open source one. Yeah. Uh, Loci 97, Magenta, Mars. Then uh, there's RC2, which is a block cipher, RC5 and RC6. And actually, RC6 was one of the ones in the running for, for the AES. And I mean, safer and serpent and two fish. I mean, so the point is, there's you know, there's a whole pot of really good block ciphers. And what what WPA uses, it can use, as we've talked about before, for when it's running on older hardware, it can use what 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 viewers or users see as TKIP, the Temporal Key Integrity Protocol. That's actually still RC4 running in the background, hmm. but they fixed the way it's being used so it's completely secure. But the alternative, and you'll see this sometimes in your user interface on, on, on your routers and, and and maybe you know XP or something, depending upon what your your Wi-Fi stuff is, you may see AES as that as an alternative cipher. It's more compute intensive, so you will technically get a slower connection. And it's, since it's sort of overkill, I don't use it, and I don't even recommend it. But you know, it is there, and it's a block cipher. It was like the, the like the next generation sort of beyond DES as the formal you know worldwide standard. And boy, I mean, it has been pounded on extensively. So we know we shouldn't use DES, but triple DES is fine. Uh, right. Blowfish is fine. IDEA. Are, are, all, are they all, you know, roughly equally strong? Well, the, the, there are various um, differences between them. They're, they're generally all regarded as strong. Really, given a, a strong block cipher algorithm, the, the idea is that the only thing that should matter are the block length and the key length. That is, a block length, a longer block length is generally better because it defeats any kind of frequency analysis by just muddying up any interrelationships and frequencies of the input bytes 
it just it just mixes them up so much you can't see much statistical value in what comes out. Basically, it's turning what you put in into just random bits. You know, like once again, that's the idea. And in fact, it's really interesting. A good measure of the quality of encryption is the compressibility of the output. Your output should not be compressible. The more random it is, the less it, you can compress it. it. Exactly. And so you want encryption to basically create a, a, a completely random output that isn't compressible because there's no patterns for a compressor to find in order to leverage, in order to, to squeeze down the result. Um, so a modern block cipher like the AES um, chosen Rheindahl for example, it allows you to use a key length of 128. I mean, it doesn't even have anything shorter than 128. It's like, okay, we're not doing less than 128 <laughs> right. these days. Right. So you can run it at 128, 192, or 256. Wow. And I mean, and so 256, I mean, that is just so beyond reason. I mean, but is it, it works. Is it so highly compute intensive? I mean, is it so, you know, so compute intensive that you wouldn't want to use it or nowadays should we just go ahead and you know use it um i guess it depends on your application for example our ssl connections are are currently being encrypted with 128 bit security and that's really sufficient because they're not static keys right. that is every every time i create a connection to a server the handshaking that goes back and forth which is so cool and we'll be talking about it in a couple of weeks the both ends agree on a random 128 bit mm -hmm. key mm -hmm. just for that connection and then it's it's scrapped and thrown away and another one is chosen for the next connection so so the lifetime of these keys relative to their strength really renders them you know re i mean 128 bits is really strong so you know yeah a longer key length will generally require more processing um more hardware more software whatever but our machines are so fast now that you know if you really wanted to use them it's why you know why not and in fact that's what i've done w with our open vpn configuration is i'm using 256 bit wow. symmetric block encryption now it's worth it's worth mentioning that that these these ciphers these block ciphers are extremely fast relative to what we're going to be talking about next week, which are the so-called public key or asymmetric ciphers, where you use one key to encrypt and a, and a different matching key to decrypt. of In hardware, in the order of um, a thousand times faster, that is, the block ciphers are a thousand times faster than the, the public key systems. So these are, it's why they're, they're also called bulk encryption ciphers. It's, for example, it's the bulk uh, IDEA is, is the, the, the chosen bulk encryption, uh, as, as you mentioned, used for the, the commercial version of PGP because they're very, very fast. You, you wouldn't want to transfer lots of data using asymmetric ciphers that we'll be talking about next week because they're on the order of a thousand times slower and so we'll talk about how these all work together as i was talking about with building blocks in order to give us a a, a really cool set of of possible functions so uh there isn't any blanket recommendation that you would make for a particular technology it, it really depends what you're doing 
Well, it does. And it, for example, if uh, a perfect example was 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 Schneier's Blowfish, that, that is a a very strong block cipher that he put in the public domain. It's available to everyone. Only recently did the patents on uh, RSA's ciphers expire. So, for example, you couldn't legally use RC4 or RC2 or RC5, which they had patents on. Right. You couldn't. You couldn't use them without licensing them from them. Only now can you. And it's and the same fact, issue now with IDEA, or IDEA, which is patent encumbered. So, yes, exactly. But, but in so, time, you'll be able to use that as well. Yeah, and and in fact, one of of course one of the requirements for any any cipher that was adopted for um, for to, to 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 be the AES, the Advanced Encryption Standard, it had to be released into the public domain. And this RC six cipher that that the RSA um, put up for adoption, it is not publicly available and they said if this cipher if our cipher rc6 is adopted then we will release it into the public domain but otherwise not so so certainly one of the issues for choosing a block cipher is or or any cipher stream or block cipher is you know what are the licensing constraints what are the for example the the key lengths the block size and so forth so you know they have personalities and characteristics that that when you were sitting down to choose what you wanted to do you know those things would 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 come into play i always just take the default <laughs> I, pre- I presume that who you know whoever wrote g or or pgp is is picking the right one for me right and i think that's probably a safe thing to do yeah we, I, I get, and so that really gets back to my fundamental question, which is: they're all secure. They're all relatively secure, right? Well, it, it, generally, none of these have been cracked. You know, you'll see people posting things saying that a cipher has been cracked. Well, what that would really mean is that you could trivially determine the key, or you could trivially reverse the encryption process. Um, what's normally done is that, or, or mean when they say cracked is that once upon a time through a tremendous effort, one key was determined in some sort of a challenge. And for example, companies like RSA create public challenges saying, you know, we'll offer prizes, we'll offer recognition to, you know, academic um, establishments and, 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 anyone who wants to try to come up with the key so they'll they'll they'll, they'll like they'll they'll say here's the cipher we're using here's the here's the um, plain text here's the cipher text what is the key that we used in order to produce this and it's one of the ways that these ciphers are strengthened is just by by giving some incentive for people to pound on them and see if there's some way to to you know, break them or or crack them. None of these have been cracked, although you know, cracked meaning that it's it's no. It basically it's rendered worthless. Right. What has happened is that the shorter key lengths have been brute force attacked, and that's the idea. You want a you want a an algorithm where you, there is no choice other than to try every single key, and then all you need to do is have a bit length on your key. That is so long that every single key becomes, you know, virtually impractical in the lifetime of the universe. I mean, we're at, you know, what was it, ten to the nineteen years? Right. 
You're right about uh, people coming up with with, with kind of crazy schemes in uh, in his book Cryptonomicon. Neil Stevenson claims to come up with a very strong encryption technique involving a pack of cards, and uh, and and the point is, yeah, there are lots of different algorithms, but if you stick to these half dozen well known strong algorithms, the chances are they are strong because so many people are attacking them and trying to break them. Well, and any time you wander off the trail yeah, and and then yeah. try something cute, you you know you really you really open yourself to vulnerability. I mean, as the just, engineers the, who designed WEP learned to their yeah to their dismay. yeah. I mean, there just isn't a reason not to use these. We I mean, right. it's like this problem is solved. Right. You know, there's like no one needs to do new crypto because really really strong algorithms with long bit lengths which have been well-proven, are in the public domain, they're free to use, why not use them? Always a pleasure, Steve. This is a fascinating subject, and I think we could go uh, do many, many more episodes on crypto. I think people are very interested in it. It's, it, it's something that both capt- captures the kind of imagination of the layman and also has some real practical import for any of us. Who, uh, who use digital technology. Oh, well, in a digital world, Leo, we are dependent upon the the privacy and the security of, of the data we store yeah. and the message we uh, the messages we send, you know, and and more and more as people are, for example, configuring Wi-Fi, they're checking their SSL certificates to see to make sure that the site they're connecting they're connecting to is what they think it is. You know, these cryptographic concepts are entering and impinging on people's lives. Oh, so yeah. it's important. And, and in, the, in the coming weeks, we're going to move through this exactly as we have been. And by the time we're done, people who've been following along, they are going to get all this stuff. They're going to, I mean, it's what's so cool about it is it's not hard to understand. Here we've just explained in a very useful fashion, you know, symmetric block ciphers. Everyone who's been listening gets it now. And then we're going to talk about <laughs> one how, or another. <laughs> how, how you use these. Well, I mean, no one's writing one of these algorithms, but that's the point. That's not, that's not, not necessary. necessary. Right. Yep. Right. We don't need to. In fact, it also inspires uh, us to, uh, as you said, to uh, check and make sure and upgrade. And uh, because of this, I went out and I looked at my, uh, I've always used uh, some form of a uh, digital uh, signing on my emails, and I upgraded it to the latest version of uh, uh, GPG, the GNU uh, Privacy Guard, because I want to make sure I had the latest version. And I sign all my emails digitally and encrypt many of them if people give me their key. So uh, I think it's it's a it's a nice thing to have available to you. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Steve. Next week, what do we want to talk about? Next week is asymmetric ciphers, so-called ah. public public key cryptography. And that's what I'm using, of course. Yeah. We'll, we'll look Did at, you well, know. actually, you're using symmetric. You don't know it, oh. but you are. Oh. Anyone who is using public key is also using Both. private key or symmetric, because for reasons we will cover next week. Ah, all will become clear. And Steve, we've got to do more stumpers. People obviously like them. Well, when I can think of something, uh, or, or or when someone presents something, I, I agree. It was a real, yeah. it was a fun thing. Stump, stump Steve, and uh, and we'll <laughs> we'll offer it to the uh, the group as a whole. Uh, of course, you can get more information on all of these subjects at Steve's website, grc.com/slash/securitynowdm. That's also the home of Spinrite, Steve's fantastic disk recovery and maintenance utility, a must-have for every uh, user. Uh, anybody who's got a PC should have Spinrite. You can find out more about it at Spinrite, S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E dot info. And uh, if you're looking for uh, transcripts or 16 kilobit versions of this show or show notes, again, grc.com slash securitynow.htm. We thank our good friends at America Online for broadcasting this show on their podcast channel on the AOL radio. And you can find out more about that at aol.com slash podcasting. 
Uh, and we'll see you next week on Security Let's, Now. Look forward to it, Thank you, Steve. Security Now.